Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for rotters, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Rooms, all from Rotters Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. Conflict moves stories. The protagonist faces the conflict, battling with it, and dealing with it. Whether our focus is Jane Austen or Charles Dickens, George R.R. Martin or Dean Koontz, The swiftest action-adventure or the highest literary fiction, the protagonist battles a conflict creator. The antagonist creates the deepest and longest conflict in story, yet other characters can also be conflict creators, even if that character is not evil. These characters offer test for our primary character. One such character is the love interest. That's a curious addition to an episode on enemies. I'll explain it at the end of the episode. For now, let's look at tests that come from active enemies to the protagonist. Test from enemies. Here's a simple question. If enemies oppose the protagonist, are they evil? To be considered evil, a character must have an inherent bent toward evil, preferring self over others in all instances. That is evil. Not all of the characters creating tests for the protagonist and allies are evil, like blocking figures. They may stand in the way. They may offer lethal tests for the protagonist to overcome. Yet evil as a lodestone? No, that is not their guide. Characters who are inherently evil are truly scary. They care nothing for others, only for their own wishes. They will bend the facts to suit their needs. They operate based on moral relativism. As long as they get what they want, they will live within society. Block what they want, and evil will result. The worst evil is only hinted. In 13th Warrior, the evil that the Vikings are being called upon to defeat cannot be named, or as Herger says, the name cannot be said. Some evil is too horrible to be spoken aloud or to be seen clearly, as the Sibyl blocks Aeneas's eyes so he cannot see certain punishments in Hades. Many writers of horror make the mistake of turning off their readers by delving too deeply into graphic details. Lee Child, writer of the Jack Reacher stories, created the most horrible image with a single sentence stating that when the antagonist finished with his questions, the woman was glad to die. One test for protagonist from a character who is not truly evil is the test from the Threshold Guardian. Threshold Guardians can be morally ambivalent. They can be evil, but they do not have to be. Their stance at the test gate blocking it or preventing passage beyond it, maybe by choice or coercion, but they will perform their duties no matter what. That ruthless adherence to duty can be as scary as true evil. 
for it can be cruel in its lack of mercy. Guardians will menace the protagonist, yet when they are overcome, they may choose to ally with the protagonist or simply let him pass on. Guardians may determine a level of knowledge or of skill for the protagonist. Resisting the guardian's test is as active as assaulting it. Never forget, a negative can be as strong as a positive. In a love story, not giving in to a prior temptation is as powerful as pursuing a need that the chosen other provides. In a mystery, refusing to follow the easy path of blame is as assertive as finding an important clue. In the action-adventure genre, including science fiction and fantasy, turning off the immediate reaction can be as frustrating as traveling down the maze into a dead-end corridor. Whether threat is external or internal, the threshold guardian prevents crossing the threshold until the protagonist meets certain conditions. The test is met and overcome, in other words. The guardian's test, while intense, is still minor. It will not have the angst that the destruction of the protagonist's desired goal or that the ultimate battle between the protagonist and antagonist must have. In Pride and Prejudice, Catherine Bingley serves as a threshold guardian. The sister of Darcy's best friend, Catherine immediately views Elizabeth Bennet as a rival for Darcy. She wants his wealth and rank and guards him jealously so that she will not lose the opportunity of her own advancement. Darcy is not motivated by what he has. For a long time, he does not even realize what he seeks. When his goal is clarified as love rather than social standing, the primary concern of his aunt, Lady Catherine, or wealth, the edge that Catherine Bingley has over Elizabeth, he seeks his heart instead. Elizabeth is not at first worthy of his heart. She has to see him for who he is, not the wealth and rank that he represents. Learning Darcy is more than wealth and rank is Elizabeth's test, and Catherine Bingley is the guardian for that test. Jane Austen has several guardians offering tests of this threshold for both Elizabeth and Darcy to cross. Writers are never limited by specific numbers, only by the logic that proves a writing goal is meant. A second test comes from the enemy known as the shapeshifter. The shapeshifter is a changeable character, which is inherent in the name. This is not a chameleon, but a character that dons a mask to disguise true intent. During the story, a character may don many masks. Shapeshifters operate through deceit. While other enemies may seek to kill the protagonist, the shapeshifter may only wish to confuse him or her. Mentors can appear to be shapeshifters. Tricksters may attempt to be so. The shapeshifter occurs in two forms. The first form is seemingly supportive of the antagonist, but actually not supportive. This form has the angst. Misread, misunderstood, isolated by perception, and excluded before they open their mouths, the first form shapeshifter may wish to actually support the protagonist. Circumstances create a trap. Relationships may gag the truth they so desperately want to reveal. Building a believable angst for the audience is difficult. 
Even when building a story with the omniscient viewpoint, the writer needs to select carefully which viewpoints will inform the audience. Withholding the first form shapeshifter's angst until the end creates an even more potent revelation after the antagonist's defeat. The trap condition is conveyed through snippets of body language, the mouth open to speak but only to close with a shake of the head, the aborted gesture to stop, the step forward then back. These behaviors are minor touches that express a drive that must be repressed. The second form of shapeshifter is seemingly allied to the protagonist, but it's actually working for the antagonist, the conflict creator. This shapeshifter form is the double agent, the backstabber, the hypocrite, secret mole, and two-faced dastardly being who tricks the protagonist. This second form projects total loyalty and the supreme appearance of the ally, even as she or he fulfills the antagonist commands. A friendly conniver, the second form is wholly trusted and the betrayal revealed will be devastating. Revelation of the shapeshifter's true lines can occur in the opening third of the novel or can be held and preferably held until the 60% mark of the story or even delayed until the crucible of the climax. Third form of a test from a character is our classic villain. This is the totally evil dude. The best examples in story are the goblins and ogres and trolls of the Tolkien realm. A true villain, unlike an antagonist, will have no redeeming traits. Goblins lie and steal and kill even their comrades. Anne Rice and Stephanie Myers created their own versions of vampires with redeeming qualities. Rice's saturnine Louis captured hearts while his companion in vampirism Lestat reminds audiences of the vampire's true nature. Myers' Twilight turned vampires vegetarian. I remember reading the first 50 pages or so of the book and thinking, okay, yes, this is going somewhere, only to have great disappointment as the danger from Edward Cullen just dissipated. These two writers reduced the primary character's venture toward classic villain into a mere opening trope which then transformed the character into a sympathetic one. Don't get me wrong, I love Interview with a Vampire and Lestat remains a villain. Edward Cullen, though, didn't really entrap me the way Louis did. Contrast writes Louis and Myers's Cullen with Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Lecter has no redeeming qualities. Any help he gives is only to help himself escape and resume his evil desires. Hannibal, then, is a classic villain. Rice's Lestat is a classic villain. The other vampires, the ones not part of the Cullen Circle, are classic villains. Quite a number of people were enthralled fans of Hannibal after Silence of the Lambs came out as a film. The author then proceeded to write the novel Hannibal, perhaps as a warning of what true evil is. Never mistake villains. They have no redeeming qualities. The final test from an enemy who is not the conflict-creating antagonist is the shadow. In archetype, the shadow is dark energy, just as the villain is. According to Christopher Vrogler in The Writer's Journey, 
The shadow represents the suppressed monsters of the inner world. The scariest aspects of the self, without check, emerges into the daylight reality. The shadow represents the supreme challenge for the protagonist, for the shadow has inherent similarities with the protagonist. The dark secrets of the protagonist are no longer secret with the shadow, but fully expressed and terrifying in their completeness. The shadow represents what the protagonist will become if he or she gives in to evil. Very much an antagonist, the shadow self struggles with negative forces intermixed with positive ones. While repressing dark for the light, the destroying aspects will ultimately control the shadowy protagonist. Recovering status after collapsing into the temporary satisfaction of the dark becomes a great test for the protagonist. Unforeseen repercussions ripple outward from that cold, hard pebble. As writers, considering the shadow of story, we have two choices. In our first choice, present the shadow character as a dark mirror of the protagonist, and the easy path toward evil becomes clear. Dark secrets, dark instincts, dark emotions. Release these to the protagonist during a test to have a fall back from worthiness. Show the shadow in another character. Then have the protagonist reject, deny, defeat, or overcome the shadow in the other character and in themselves. Dual characters easily show the shadow aspect. In the Star Wars films, Anakin Skywalker has the potential for good and rejects it to become the Dark Father. Luke Skywalker has the same potential for evil as his Dark Father, yet he rejects it and triumphs. In Jane Austen's Mansfield Park, Mary Carlford gives in to the dark greed of contemplating Edmund's advance into his brother's shoes if Tom dies. She even suggests letting nature take its course and doing nothing to prevent Tom's death. Fanny Price thinks only of helping Tom recover his health. It takes a while for Edmund to overcome the bedazzlement of Mary Crawford and then recognize Fanny's sweetness, but Fanny is rewarded for her long and steadfast love for Edmund. The better choice for the shadow is for the shadow to struggle within the protagonist. Whenever a different character represents the shadow, the dark path is easily seen and rejected. To have the protagonist, though, pave his own road into the darkness, to pave the road with good intentions, only to discover the hell waiting at the road's end, that is a startling discovery for any person, and especially for a protagonist. Dragging the protagonist back from the shadow and once more into light becomes the necessary journey. The shadow can tempt and call up the inherent darkness and protagonist. The moment when the darkness is recognized and rejected, that becomes the most powerful scene in a novel. Then the protagonist must pass back through the evil they unwittingly caused and redeem themselves with their final conflict with the primary antagonist. The protagonist has to reject the shadow path. No one can walk evil without being tainted by it. Love interest. When you watch old action-adventure films, the love interest enters the story at the beginning and the end and nowhere else. 
In those old films, the hero's beloved wife or girlfriend is reduced to a treasure to be enjoyed as a reward or consumed as an elixir to later stages in the hero's journey. The character is too objectified, becoming nothing more than a blow-up doll. Think about it. Should any character developed as a person be reduced to a mere object? Walk-on characters and cameos are essential to stories, but should the love interest of the protagonist be restricted to a cameo role? Wouldn't doing so reduce the gravitas of the protagonist? A few films and novels twisted the character of love interest into the Black Widow femme fatale, seducing the protagonist into darkness. Barbara Stanwyck's character in Double Indemnity is an excellent example. No wonder many of the early Hollywood legendary actresses snapped up those femme fatale roles. They had more scope for their acting abilities, larger roles in the films, and often top billing in the promotions. One film sidelined men to nothing more than tangential, mentioned without being seen, although the whole development of the story was focused on the loss and regaining of a husband. 1939's The Women was considered groundbreaking because the men became sidelined as the love interest, entering the story only at the beginning and the end. Mr. and Mrs. Smith played with the trope of the spouse not knowing the real occupation of the other and upended the story machine with dual protagonists at odds, allied because of love, antagonistic because of occupation, then allied once more out of necessity. So the groundbreaking shift in love interest has already occurred. As a writer, aim to involve the love interest in the story as a true character, serving as an ally or an enemy. The love interest can be a supporting ally, or betraying shapeshifter, a stubborn blocking figure, or the trickster, a minion of the antagonist, are the actual antagonist. The story will dramatically improve. Sow the wind of the love interest as an ally or enemy and reap the whirlwind of the love interest effect on the emotional development of the protagonist. The Right Focus is currently in the series all about characters, from building and presenting a character to relationships, leadership styles, team roles, and special touches for characters. Avoid creating characters who are stereotypes. Reveal their public and private interiors. Focus on couples, mentors, enemies, and much, much more. The information comes from M.A. Lee's guidebook, Discovering Characters, part of the Discovering series on the writing craft. Link to the guidebooks are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Remy Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com.
gmail.com. Write to us at linkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.